Welcome to Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Onaway, Michigan. I'm Pastor Trent Wahlberg, and you're listening to Preaching and the Word. The word for today is from the Gospel of John, verse, chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. In last week's Gospel reading, Jesus told his disciples that a day was coming when they would pray to the Father in his name. But he clarified that 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 does not mean they would ask Jesus and he would ask the Father on their behalf. Rather, that they would pray to the Father directly, and he would hear them because the Father loves them, and the Father loves them because they love his Son and believe that he has come from God. Today, only a few verses later, Jesus prays for his disciples. He prayed to his Father on their behalf not because they asked him to or because they couldn't pray themselves, but because he loved them. More than that, he didn't just pray for those disciples who were with him in that upper room on the night when he was betrayed. He also prayed for you. Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That is, all of us. We have all believed in Jesus through the word of the apostles. In fact, no one would believe if it were not for them and their testimony. Jesus, after all, didn't author any of the books in the New Testament. They were all written or endorsed by the apostles. I'm not aware of anyone who became a Christian by some direct revelation from God without the influence or guidance of any other Christian. Something that many people don't realize is that none of the Gospels are written for at least a decade after the fact, but that in no way makes them less reliable. Quite the opposite. Before they committed the Gospels to paper, they went out and told people. They told people from every nation, tribe, and tongue that all that Jesus had said and done. Jesus prayed for everyone who would become a believer in him through their ministry. That would be every Christian ever. From the ones who first heard them preach the good news of Jesus' resurrection and the forgiveness of sins on Pentecost, all the way up to us today who have heard and believed their message. Today and tomorrow, from generation to generation, until Jesus comes again. The word spread from a small number of individuals to a number beyond measure. Jesus prayed for all these believers throughout all time. That includes you and me. So what is Jesus' prayer for us? 
he prayed for unity, that we may be one. That's what unity means. Uni is one. Unity is good. It's certainly better than division. Unity implies peace, but division implies war, because when people are united, they stand together, but when they're divided, they fall apart. Clearly, unity is important to Jesus, and it's important to us too. But one must wonder if it's really even possible. We long to be united, to be at peace with one to be at peace and one with one another. But all we see in this world is division. While this nation is called the United States of America, we, and we say in the Pledge of Allegiance that we are one nation under God, lately this unity seems to be tenuous at best. There is no need for me to delve into the details of this division. Jesus' prayer was not so much for the unity of the world, but for the church. He prayed for the unity of all who would come to believe in him through the apostolic witness of the resurrection. But even there, unity doesn't seem to be the reality. The same divisions that pit countrymen, neighbors, and families against one another in the world are present even within the church among brothers and sisters in Christ. Personalities clash, we do and say things that are hurtful, even though we are forgiven and we sin constantly and need more forgiveness still. Sadly, when unbelievers look at Christians, they often don't notice much of a difference between us and the rest of the world. We can all do much, much better. There have been a number of surveys and polls conducted that show that one thing that turns off unbelievers to Christianity is the fact that the church seems to be so divided, both interpersonally and organizationally. You hear it all the time, and have the thought has probably occurred to most of you, since there are so many denominations and disagreements and factions and schisms within Christianity, how is anyone supposed to know which one is true? Maybe there isn't much of a difference at all. Maybe they're all true, or maybe none of them are. Either way, it can seem like a bit of mixed messaging. Jesus prayed that the world would believe that he came from God when they see our unity. But the opposite seems to be more common. The world sees that we are not one and thus doubts if Jesus came from God. What can be done about this? It seems to stand to reason, and many have argued, that if we want the world to believe that Jesus came from God and is one and is one with him and us through the Holy Spirit, we must cast aside our differences, tear down denominational divides, and unite as one church on earth. Then the world will see our unity and believe. But this is really a gross misrepresentation of what true unity is. People have tried countless times to create such peace and unity on earth. Various ecumenical movements have come and gone, which have sought to lay aside genuine theological differences for the sake of external unity. While I do understand this impulse, I think it's a bit naive and misguided at best. In some cases, it's even been disastrous. You see what happens when we sacrifice sincere doctrinal convictions for the sake of finding common ground, we end up reducing what we believe to the lowest common denominator. 
eventually you end up losing everything distinct about yourself and eventually can't say anything of substance at all without running the risk of saying something that someone else might object to or disagree with. Being one doesn't mean that we all have to be the same. If that were the case, we would all become faceless, ambiguous blobs, indistinguishable from one another, with no distinct nation, sex, race, or creed. Does that sound familiar? Christians often have the false idea that early Christians were united, that that they were not divided by factions or sects, but this is simply not true. Far from it. In fact, several of Paul's letters mention a Christian sect called the Judaizers, or the Circumcision Party. Within the first couple centuries, just about every heresy that exists today already existed. It's all just called by different names now. The Nicene Creed that we confess today was written in direct response to the Arian heresy, which taught that Jesus was not the eternal Son of God, but a created being. Hence, when we say that he is begotten, not made, and so on, those are fighting words and uh, address a particular group of people who consider themselves Christians. Even under the umbrella of Orthodox Christianity, there were the Alexandrian and Antiochian schools of theology, which emphasized different things. On top of that, by the year 1000 AD, the church officially split between East and West in what's called the Great Schism. So while there were not so many denominations as we understand them today, there was just as much division and infighting as always. It's enough to cause one to wonder, did the Father hear Jesus' prayer? To that, I have another question. Why do we so often think that we can undo or nullify Jesus' prayer, his will for us? Or why do we think that it's up to us to fulfill his prayer? As if it's somehow we who are able to create unity on earth so that God's will can be done. We pray as our Lord taught us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Luther rightly explains what this means. He says the kingdom of God and the will of God certainly comes and is done already by itself without our prayers, but we pray in this petition that it may come and be done among us also. The truth is, the church is already one. The Father The Father's will will be done, and his kingdom will come, regardless of what we have to say about it. The Father has heard Jesus' prayer and has answered. True unity is something that already exists in Christ. It's not some kind of pie-in-the-sky pipe dream about some idyllic future where we can all hold hands and sing kumbaya. True unity is not something that some committee in Switzerland can enact through social programs and governmental legislation. Although Jesus is praying specifically for the church, a similar impulse is present in the world. Some believe that if we can unify the nations of the world, there can be lasting peace on earth. Get rid of borders and walls and anything that divides us, you know, those pesky religions that only cause war and tumult. Boil everything down to the lowest common denominator and make everyone the same. Everyone equally poor or equally 
whatever. This idea is nothing new and has taken countless forms over the years. It's as old as war and statecraft itself. Whether it was the Egyptians, the Babylonians, Persians, Romans, the Great Britain, America, or even some transnational hegemony, it's all the same pursuit of fallen unity in the world by the consolidation of power. But this is a false unity. True unity is not something that is always visible or known in this world. We don't always see it or recognize it as such. It's as Jesus said, The glory you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus' glory was not something that was always recognized as such. It didn't appear all that glorious when he was betrayed, abandoned, and crucified. Even the glory of his resurrection was a glory that was not shown to the world, but only to those who believed in him and to us who have believed through their testimony. In this world, there will always be division. And for now, the church still exists in the world. But in his wisdom, God is still able to use these external divisions to accomplish his good and gracious will. True unity does not mean that we will always agree or see eye to eye. To be one means to be forgiven and redeemed by the one who has reconciled us to the Father. It's to forgive as we have been forgiven and to love as we have been loved. At the end of the day, true unity trusts God at his word. Not pretending that we have or are able to achieve unity here in this life, but that he has already achieved it. True unity is a reality because Jesus loves you and he prays for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this show. If you would like to support our ministry here at Holy Cross in Onaway, you can share this podcast and give us a five-star rating. If you would like to make a financial gift, please make checks payable to Holy Cross Lutheran Church and mail it to us at 3786 Glacier Road, Onaway, Michigan. That's G-L-A-S-I-E-R Road, Onaway, Michigan, 49765. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.